He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you today. Guys, I'll be battling through some uh, allergies here this morning, but we'll get through it. And T-Dub, I owe you a congratulations back-to-back weeks. T-Dub, last week... You picked Shane Lowry. This week, you picked Max Homa. Two guys that I said, you need to fade before the week because everybody's on them. T-Dub, you just took the chalk and, and got two wins in a row there. Well, it's pretty telling that as soon as the one and done ends that I was about 180 and then, that all of a sudden I start picking some winners. So, <laughs> you know how it goes, how it goes then. You start getting on the winning streak when nothing matters at all. No doubt. And guys, we had a crazy finish in that Fortinet championship. Like Max Homa tweeted out, he said, I am the back-to-back battle royale champion, referring to Fortnite, obviously, Woody. But Woody, I don't know if I've ever seen a finish like that where it's not even an easy pitch shot. He has to pitch it over this bunker and has to can it, and he has to get Danny Willett to three-putt, and it actually happens, Woody. I mean, we think about it all the time at the end of tournaments like what could actually happen here but it never actually happens and this week it did that was amazing is what that was first off the pitch shot he hit was phenomenal i mean that was such a good pitch shot and you know that's golf though because if he doesn't hold it it's an after ain't nothing uh, you know well it'll lag that putt if he's smart and because he holds it now he's got this mode now it changes all of a sudden and it changes so rapidly I don't think he was really ready for it. I, I, even though you should be, as a player, you never count the other guy out. But he looked like he was just in a state of shock, didn't he? And that's what it looked like to me. Uh, he just um, he just lost where he was, and boom, boom, before you know it, he loses the golf term. It, it really did. And T-Dub, I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. All you got to do is lag it up there to at least send yourself to a playoff. I mean, you can't run. The last thing you can do is run it by, you know, farther. He, he had three feet, seven inches. Um, and then he, he had like over four feet on his second putt, T-Dub. I mean, what are you doing? What are you doing, Danny Willett? It, it was such an interesting dynamic, wasn't it? Because Willard had to think almost that whole hole that he was going to end up winning. Because on 18, what a lot of people don't know is that, you know, Homa, we're going to see the holdout tip shot, but he was in the greenside bunker just short of that before and didn't get it on the green before that. So he didn't hit a very good good shot leading up to that, but Homa a- able to be clutch. But also, too, one thing that going back even earlier in the round that's interesting is that Danny Willard three-putted number nine, a par five from about 27 feet. Had about a 27 foot, like I just mentioned, blew it by about five feet and missed that putt coming back as well. So for a two-horse race, everyone's going to focus on 18, but nine was definitely definitely another telling uh, hole because Homa birdied that hole. So the, the two par fives, nine and 18, or two of those par fives, Homa gained four shots on, on Danny Willett and ended up winning by one. So I think that's absolutely telling. But, yeah, Sam, it's such an interesting dynamic. When you have a putt to win, you, you need to – this is what I was telling – this is what I've been telling people is, like, no, you don't want to just say lag the putt because you don't want to just say I'm going to playoff. I'm not saying <laughs> lag it, but I'm saying you can't run it by four feet. 
There's exactly, there's a fine yes, line there. Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. You in, on any putt you have, you can dictate how what line you're going to take on that putt depending on the speed that you take. And you got to have a, a six inch to, to foot pass pace at most eighteen inches, and that also opens up most of the hole for you. But what you saw on both the putts that Will and this is that he pulled both of them, and especially on the second one because of where the camera was, took the putter back straight inside, which got the putter face shut. So I think that's something that he's going to have to look at if he wants to get back to major, to the Masters winning form that he was on because those last two putts were – it wasn't even necessarily just that he misread the putts. They were absolutely horrible, got off the stroke. Woody, I have two questions for you because you've been under pressure coming down the stretch in golf tournaments before – uh, my first question about Danny Willett, do you think he put too much pressure on himself because he hasn't been in that situation very often lately? Oh, I think he had to. I, I don't think any golfer that he hasn't won since 2016 where he won that Masters. And he really kind of backed into that one when he won that golf tournament. He, I shouldn't say back in. He played a heck of a final round, but everybody kind of laid down on that coming down the stretch. I, like I said, Sam, it, it's so fast in golf how your brain goes from one thought to another and you guys called it he only had three and a half feet i'm sure what he was thinking he'd made a lot of them he was going to just you know hit it firm and and just knock it right in the hole i i, I didn't right. think, i don't think he thought about three putting but when you hit a putt firm the only problem with that is it better be spot on because if it's pulled like his was then caught a little lip guess what? It, it spins out and it goes forward and some odd feet by. Now you're really shell-shocked because now all of a sudden you've got to make that to get the playoff. When you've been standing up there on the green watching home, I'm thinking all along, I'm going to like this down two putt win this golf tournament. And it changed so rapidly. And I just don't think from a golfer's standpoint, he hadn't been there in a long time, like you said, and the pressure ramped up to a point where you saw something that was just in the debacle. I mean, that three putt was just flat ugly and it was, it was hard to watch, wasn't it? It really was. And T Dub, I'll ask you the second question to me. Uh, remind me who they were playing. Max Homa, Danny Willett, who was the third in that group? Uh, I believe it was uh, Justin Lauer. Okay. His putt did not break. And I think that after the round, they asked, Danny Willett, what he thought, and he and he goes, I, I probably overthought it a little bit um, or something of that nature because his putt did not break, and Danny was putting from the opposite side of the hole pretty much right on line with his putt. And, you know, I, I, to me, I think that he just overthought the putt a little bit too. And, and you might have thought that he pulled it, but I thought that he kind of rammed it on a wrong line. I, I think that it was – it wasn't rammed absolutely, but no, I, I think that – it was definitely a pull for sure. I mean, it didn't even touch the hole. If you're going to misread a four-footer that bad, right, then, right. then you're, there's no way that you're going to be probably in contention. My, my point here is that he, he was just overthinking the whole situation. Not only had he not been in that situation, you know, very often lately, but, you know, he overthought the break as well. Uh, and, and everyone talks about match play. You have to be ready for your opponent to, to essentially make the shot. But there's no way Danny Willis thinking that, that home is going to make that chip. So all of a sudden he does. Like what he said earlier, completely changes how he's focusing on the putt, and I, I think it just shocked his system. In all honesty, and it shocked his system so bad he knocked the next one four and a half feet by. And then at that point, there's no chance he's going to make that putt. And it was it, it was so crazy to see just in the moment how fast things could change 
And it, it's something that we, we talk about Danny Willard. He, he won the Masters, and then he kind of went on a little bit of a slump. It's kind of starting to get his game back. Still not to the point of where he was, but this could be something that could definitely hinder him going forward, at least to maybe win tournaments. I, I do. I think that he's shown some form to be able to contend and make nice paychecks, absolutely. But if you're going to have a choke job like that on the last hole of the Fortnite championship, there's no way you're going to be able to contend in major championships or these upper echelon uh, PJ tournaments that we're going to have next year, Sam. Woody, that moved – Max Homa up to 16th in the official world golf ranking. And obviously, you know, we have our, you know, issues with the official world golf ranking. But as of right now, um, that is what we have to go off of. And that's what the majors as of right now are going off of. What do you see in Max Homa's game that makes you think that he can, you know, make that, you know, big jump from 16th in the world to top 10 in the world to maybe top five in the world? Because I think he's one of the best ball strikers on the PGA Tour. A lot of people like to talk about his personality, and I think it kind of overshadows how great Max Homa really is. I think the biggest word you've got with Max Homa that, that is the word in any sport is confidence. When you're confident, crazy things happen. Just like you win a golf tournament, you're not supposed to win. And all that does is bodes him even more to where he's going, you know what, not only am I one of the best players, I'm one of the luckiest players. And my confidence now is off the charts. I really would not want to be playing him this week in the President's Cup because he is walking on a, on a, a, a sheet of air that most people don't get. And I don't know when it's going to go off or when it's going to stop, but his confidence level over the last year and a half, two years, it's just gone from I'm just a good player that I can I can hang out here and make a good living to, you know what, I'm better than that. I can win. I can win majors. I can win big golf tournaments now because I've, I've got all the stars going my way. And I think it's confidence, Sam. I hate to say that word because he's got – I don't know that anybody doesn't have skills on the PGA Tour, okay? They're all good. But when you have that little bit of confidence boost, it changes everybody. It changes a guy that's maybe just okay into a really good player. So, T-Dub, that was us being unbiased, talking about the crazy finish to the Fortinet Championship. Now we have to bring up the elephant in the room, to me at least, how was this golf tournament not on television? Obviously, you know, Liv has based their model off of streaming. Now, I feel like a lot of people didn't even know this golf tournament was going on, the Fortnite Championship on the PGA Tour, because it wasn't on NBC. It wasn't on the Golf Channel. Channel. They did a live cut-in uh, to show the end of the golf tournament. But other than that, you had to watch it on, you know, the, the, the streaming, the PGA Tour app and, and, and Peacock and stuff like that. Yeah, so I, I've cut over the golf channel, and that's how I watched the end of the golf tournament. It was over there, and up until I heard that, I didn't even, with football and all that stuff going on, I didn't even know that this whole dynamic was going on. And it, it, it's crazy to think about that, that live, in which we're going to talk about in just a little bit, has become such so much more viewer-friendly, and, and now we, we can't even watch this Fortnite championship. And we, we talk about Liv having, making maybe questionable decision going against the NFL with the PJ Tour. I do the same thing, and I, it's almost like they just waved the white flag, James, and said, you know what, we're not going to have hardly any viewers here. Let's try something different just to be different. And I would love to see the viewer numbers on it because I guarantee you they were astronomically low because unless you're just bigger golf nuts than we are, which probably don't exist, then, then no one's watching that tournament unless you were Max Homa's 
grandfather who couldn't go to Napa or something like that. See, the viewership for that tournament had to be astronomically low. Woody, to me, they got bailed out by such a crazy finish that they were able to kind of pump that video of the crazy finish all over social media and things like that. But, yeah, I, I agree with T-Dub. Maybe some people cut over and the golf nerds cut over um, and watched the end of the golf tournament on the golf channel. However, they didn't show the rest of the golf tournament. I would be surprised to hear the numbers, you know, their streaming numbers as compared to live this past week. One thing they, one thing it looks like to me with that is kind of what Dub said. They just raised the white flag on this, and that is so not what the PGA Tour has been about. This whole fight through this summer and this live. Well, they haven't it's, been about it, but Woody, but Woody, I, I will say over the past you know decade or so, they have waved the white flag like this in the past because of the NFL, not because of live during this part of the year. Well. I, I, I totally agree, Sam, but they didn't have any competition when they were waving the white flag before. You're right. You're right. I would have thought that they would have said, okay, we have to keep the same model we have going. The last thing they needed to do was go to streaming. I, I That's my two cents on it. I don't know what they're thinking. If I knew what the PGA was thinking, eh, now I wouldn't be a part of it because I don't like them. Um, but I just – I just think they they dropped the ball with this. I really do. Even though the uh, the Fortnite tournament is not what you call a big event, it's a PGA event, and they're all they talked about is we've got the best tour anywhere. And then they lay down and say, "Yeah, well, but we're not going to film it, or we're not going to show it to anybody." That I just don't know. Under, I don't know what these thinking heads are thinking with that. I, well, I don't they know. I, I, I was baffled. t they didn't do a very good job of letting us know about the fact that it was only on GolfChannel.com, NBC Sports app, and PGATour.com from 3 p.m. Eastern to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. You could also listen to it on PGA Tour Radio, or you could go back and watch it from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. on tape delay on the Golf Channel. That, to me, I I felt like that's something we should have known, you know, a week before when we were doing our Fortinet preview, and, and we'd had no clue about that. And obviously, Liv has been criticized for their streaming numbers, but I guarantee you that that the Fortinet Championship streaming numbers were horrible. So, uh, yeah, so whenever I flipped over the Golf Channel on, on this weekend, at anywhere between 2 and about 5 o'clock, I believe it was the LPGA tournament that's on. I may be wrong, but nevertheless. So my thought process was, Oh, well, they're, they're probably just, because it's out in Napa, they're probably just playing late, and, and we're going to see the last, uh, you know, back nine holes in, in prime time. And, and on Sunday, I, I get done about 3 o'clock, and I, I look at the scores on my phone. There's no golf on the TV, and they've already played like 14 holes. I said, what in the hell is going on? And, and it turns out it was exactly this. And the point you made exactly right, Sam, the fact that we didn't know about this, I, I mean, obviously we could have did some deep diving, but, yeah, they didn't promote that this is going to be changing. You would have thought that, for two weeks, that they, we haven't had a tour event in, in three weeks, actually, for the tour championship. We could have thought, oh, hey, we're going to have this final round of this weekend coverage uh, on this streaming app. Make sure to check it out and get signed up for it. Didn't hear any of that. So, yeah, it's, it's absolutely crazy, and I think that it's a another blunder and another hole in, in what the PJ Tour has done over, over these last few months. 
And T-Dub, speaking of their competition, Live Golf Chicago did happen over the past weekend. Cam Smith gets the victory at 13 under Peter Uline in second, formerly of Oklahoma State. Dustin Johnson in third at 10 under, uh, or I guess tied for tied for second. I hate how Live does this on their leaderboard on livegolf.com. Uh, they don't put the ties there. Peter Uline and Dustin Johnson tied for second at 10 under. Uh, Sergio Garcia at eight under tied with Joaquin Neiman. Uh, guys, I mean, Cam Smith continues to be the greatest putter that I have seen in our generation, T-Dub. Every clutch putt and every clutch up and down that Cam Smith needed, he got. He even hit the wayward tee shot like I was talking about on the preview show. He tends to miss right under pressure, and he did, and it didn't It didn't bite him in the ass, T-Dub. You're exactly right with he's got the best putting and probably the best short game when you look all around of our generation. Some of the shots he hit come down the stretch. So I can't remember what hole it was, but the flop shot he hit when he was short-sided, hit it up to about two feet. It was just absolutely spectacular. And then it just seems like anytime he's inside 20 feet, it, it's going to go in the hole. It's very similar to the kind of the run that Spieth was on back when he came out. Sure, if he had a 30-footer, everyone assumed he was going to make it. And that's kind of how Cam Smith is on just a little bit closer. And even the longer putts, you expect he makes it. But in all honesty, Sam, what, what I caught from the last bit of this tournament was it, it seemed like it was going to be Cam Smith's deal unless he had some sort of choke job because DJ wasn't really making as much of a run as I wanted to. But, but what was unique about this tournament was we actually had an absolute shootout when it came to team competition. You, your four aces end up getting the job done by one shot over over smash. But who would have thought that of all the people, Peter Ulan and Chase Kepka, not even Brooks Kepka, Chase Kepka, we're going to come out and get a, a top 10 finish. Uh, Chase shot five under 67 on the last round. So, I mean, I don't know, Woody. It seemed like to me that it was pretty cool to have a, a team contest where the four aces weren't just head over shoulders uh, running away with it. Yeah, but they still won, and, and, and that's uh, that's uh, that's three million dollars. Those guys have packed pocketed in their little pockets in the last four weeks. They've won four times in a row, which is three million dollars a piece for those guys. So I got tickled yesterday because Sam, you sent me that text message about Cam Smith hitting it way right, and I said, "Yeah, but he can putt." Yes, he can, and it fixes. I'll tell you what, when you're a great putter and chipper, you can get away with bloody murder and still win golf tournaments. And uh, I, I do, I will go to my grave saying that I think if you play golf for a living, you must drive the ball really well and you must putt and chip really well. I think those three things are important. Cam Smith drives the ball okay, but he does have that wayward shot you are spot on buddy that I, I i would think he would be working on that he i would think he would say okay every time i've got to hit a really good drive i get under a little heat and i tend to block it so he he can only even like tiger woods he can only putt so good for so long it's just the golf gods don't let you be the greatest putter your whole entire life but right now it's working out real well for him he uh I don't think he's worried about going to live. And, and isn't it funny? We, we, we didn't talk about that, but that, that Fortnite tournament, look, Danny Willett and uh, the, the Lauer kids, they both got back on the PGA Tour because of those guys going to live. So they need to send a little Christmas card out um, at the end of the year for all those guys that did go because it, it saves some careers, and in a big way, that first term of the year, those two guys jumped right up there and almost won again. 
Woody, I think I buried the lead a little bit too with Cam Smith because on 17, and, and a lot of people around here will remember 17 at Rich Harvest Farms because that's the hole that Brad Dalkey salted away the national championship uh, and made the you know winning bogey on 17. Uh, it's one of the hardest holes in all of golf. And, and if you ask college players where they have a lot of college events, they would say that 17 at Rich Harvest Farms is one of the toughest finishing holes um, you know, coming down the stretch in, in all of golf. And not only does it have a really hard tee shot, but then you have a second shot over water. You have to be super precise. And what did Cam Smith do? He stuck it right in the middle of the fairway, T-Dub, and then hit a beautiful iron shot to about four feet and rolls the you know downhill left to right slider right in the heart uh, to go up by three over Dustin Johnson, T-Dub. And the thing about Cam Smith missed, to the right is that it seems like we saw it even at, even at the open championship a little bit where it, it, it only wears its head at certain times. And we saw it at the players championship on 18. We saw it at the FedEx St. Jude a couple, uh, I believe a year ago, year and a half ago now. And uh, we saw it at a Liberty national in, in the PJ playoff event. We saw it at Augusta on the, on the 12th. And by the, by the, the way, T-Dub, he, he leads or led the PGA Tour throughout most of last year in the left miss off the tee, but under pressure, it, it's like he hits an anti-left shot, right? It's 100% that, and I remember at, at Southern Hills, the PGA Championship won the practice rounds. He was out playing by himself on, on 13 tee balls. He hit five balls off that tee, and he hit two right, two left, one straight. And and I said, and at the top of his swing, he was he's always notorious for being a little across the line. But every single swing was just a little bit different. And, and I think Woody's right on the fact that he's trying to work on that. But it's just so hard because you can't replicate that pressure. But with him being able to get in these moments, like he had winning a major championship and now winning $4 million, I, I think he's starting to kind of battle across that. And, and even looking at the analytics, over the past two years, he's gained essentially 0.8 more shots approach the green and about 0.6 shots more on the green than he did two years ago. So those are two areas of his game that have improved so much, and those are what's really carrying him because, like you guys are saying, if he puts the ball in play off the tee, everything else is going to take care of itself. And, of course, like Rich Harvest, which plays long, but at the same time fairly generous fair with the rough, wasn't absolutely excruciating penalizing. I think the course is set up really well for Cam Smith, and, and he pulled it out and showed us why this week. Woody, I'm curious to get your thoughts on Dustin Johnson because obviously uh, in that final round, he goes out and shoots one over on that front nine and then comes back and shoots a bogey-free three under on the back nine to at least win the team competition. Uh, he also got some help from Patrick Reed who shot four under in the final round. Taylor Gooch and Pat Perez did not play their best golf uh, this week, but they still get the victory. Um I was interested coming down the stretch because Dustin Johnson had a chance to win the individual golf tournament plus, you know, kind of having to play defensive golf to win the team, you know, competition. As far I know you played team golf when you were in college, just as far as, you know, kind of handling that balance between trying to win an individual competition and a team competition. To me, I heard a lot on the broadcast of them thinking, oh, well, he's thinking about the team coming down the stretch. Yes, but I, I think that mainly he was just trying to win the golf tournament individually. Um, and even we saw in the last chip shot, he kind of rammed it right into the pin. I, I, I think he was just trying to win for himself. And if he won the team competition, that was great, too. I think you're spot on on that. Uh, and I would, 
Oh, of all the people you'd talk about with Dustin Johnson, he would be the one guy that I don't think he even, that ever even crossed his mind. Uh, D- Dustin Johnson's not that sharp attack, okay? He's not, he's not out there really thinking about anything but trying to make birdies and win the golf tournament. Uh, I don't think he had one thought about the team thing. Uh, and if he, we interviewed him, he said, no, Woody, I was thinking about that the whole time. I would go, oh, okay, but I don't, I don't think so. Not with Dustin Johnson. Dustin Johnson is just such a superb athlete and such a good golfer, and he's so comfortable on this live tour. He's, he's playing really good every week, and uh, he didn't do that on the PGA Tour. So there, there's something about this live tour where everybody would talk about, well, with all that guaranteed money, they're going to just go home and party. Uh, it doesn't look like Dustin Johnson's doing that. Now, Brooks Kepka, on the other hand, looks like he is uh, having a big fun and not even giving one rat about his golf game. Um, not Dustin Johnson. He's, he he wants to win. I don't care if he's playing in the Live, the PGA, uh, with his buddies at home. He's just that kind of great player that he's going he's gonna to gel when he needs to. And he almost pulled it out. If Cam Smith doesn't play really those last few holes coming down the stretch pretty good, like you said, that birdie on 17, that was huge. Because that's a disastrous hole that could change the whole thing. And uh, and not to he mention he made the it. bogey on the long par 3 16th as well. So it, right, it could have gotten right, out of hand right. right there, but he stuffed it right in the middle of the fairway and stuffed it right next to the pin. Uh, another world-class player, in my opinion. And there's there's more of those guys on that list than, than we really give it credit for. So... I think, again, what you had in the Lib Golf Tournament was more fun to watch than the one at Fortnite, even though it turned into something kind of a, a really uh, highlight reel with that three-putt. The Golf Tournament overall at Fortnite was kind of boring. Uh, Lib, Lib has not been boring one time. And, and a lot of people like the team aspect. Uh, Sam, I, I think that's something that's getting people – excited about this i don't think it excited dustin johnson like i said he of course he'll take his 750 again and go thank you very much but that team aspect we've never seen that in golf at a professional level and it's it's pretty doggone uh entertaining when you guys say a hundred percent. And T-Dub, I have to ask you about two guys um, that were in the top 10 on this live leaderboard that we haven't seen in the top 10 on a live leaderboard. That is Phil Mickelson and Chase Kepka, who both tied for eighth place in this golf tournament. Let's start with Phil Mickelson. Guys, I mean, that was a vintage final round. He goes out, uh, and, and, and guys, he, he birdies number one, two, four, five, seven. He birdies 12 and, and 14 and, and 16 and 18. The guy was just a birdie machine, and he's even hitting three woods off cart pass. It was vintage Phil Mickelson, T-Dub. What did you see from Phil's game in that final round that we haven't seen on live so far? It was crazy because it just seemed like he was maybe even a little bit more motivated than he had been in the past. He's gone 70-74 the first two rounds. And, and you can tell that, that Phil is, you know, he's enjoying his move to live, I think, and even just being able to play some golf again. But him not playing at a high level, I think he's played enough now to where it's kind of starting to piss him off. And, and that's what we saw out there. You mentioned all the birdies. He made nine birdies in the final round. Nine birdies. And, and that's absolutely what vintage Phil is about. He's about kind of hitting it all over the place. 
gonna make gonna make birdies here or there, but he's also gonna have his bogeys, and that's what we saw: bogey uh, ten, he bogeyed fifteen, and he bogeyed seventeen as well. So uh, those things are there, but it's marvelous to see Phil actually playing some golf. I, I'd mentioned how many ever times that ever since all this uh, all the stuff came out about him at the start of this year, it looked like he aged about ten years. So it, it's good to see him have a little bit of youth there and, and to come out and play. And just a little bit on Chase Kepnick mentioned as well, shooting 67-500 in the final round. I was talking about earlier when we were talking about the Smash team, you expect to see a Kepka playing good in the final round, and you expect it to be Brooks, but it was Chase. And it, I think that's another cool thing to see that, that uh, you know, I, I think that for Chase, a lot of this has just been, oh, well, he's just getting a spot in these live events because of his brother. And, and that's more than likely 100% true. So it's nice to see that he's getting a little bit of a validity to, to well, the way that he's playing. I just don't think this is going to be something that we see a, a long time going forward. I'd be shocked to see Chase Kepke getting the get to ever win a live event or even be in the top five. Then. Yeah, but what I wanted to allude to with the, with bringing up Chase Kepka was the fact that he was a world beater in college at South Florida. Guys, I mean, the guy was a big time player coming out of college, and he's kind of struggled once he's turned professional. And I think part of it has to do with the fact that. Brooks Kepka has had so much success and he's kind of been living in his shadow, but I was glad to be able to kind of see Chase Kepka go through, you know, his process and be able to watch his game shot by shot on live this week. I was actually pretty impressed from what I saw, uh, Woody, uh, especially in that final round, Chase Kepka going out there um, and when his team needed it, going out there and shooting a five under in the final round, uh, shot five under actually on that back nine, that tough back nine out at Rich Harvest Farms. You know, I I think you're right on Chase Kepka. I think he hit on a really couple good points. He really was a really good player in college. And with the fact that his brother ended up going to Europe, coming back, and then won those majors so quick. Uh, that I don't know. I don't have a brother. I didn't have a brother that played. But it's rare that you see two brothers excel. I mean, I saw Peyton and Eli do it in the NFL. But it, it's rare that you see that, guys, where two siblings – both dominate or both are really what you call outstanding. So it was, a, I think it's got to be a huge confidence boost for Chase Kepka and Peter Uline because Peter has not played very good since going to live. And we know Peter Uline can golf his ball also. So I think there's, I think there's a comfort level that's changing out there where these guys no matter what they say, I don't care what they say. I don't care what Phil Mickelson will tell you. That has to hurt every time you read an article or every time you're around people that you thought were your friends that are bashing you for something that you're doing, what you think is a betterment for your family and a betterment for the game of golf. Everybody's got opinions, right? So everybody's got choices. These guys chose a route. And to be vilified the way they have been, the way they've been just treated like just second-class citizens, it has to hurt. It, it, you can't tell me those guys aren't playing when they first went there and have that little bit of a cloud over them where they think, am I that bad a guy? Uh, Patrick Reed has always been that bad guy, so I don't know why it bothers him. <laughs> but, uh you know, there's a lot of those guys, and, and we all have feelings. And if you don't, you're not human. So, 
Phil playing good was probably my most pleasing thing of that deal where maybe he's finally gotten to a point where he says, you know what? I am what I am. I did what I did. I think I was right doing it. He's, it's starting to show he was right what he did. Um, and I think he's kind of finally getting to where he's kind of like, okay, you know, you've, you've hit me with every rock, every missile you can throw at me. I'm still here. And you know what, boys, I can still play a little golf if I get focused. And obviously he decided this week, as T-Dub said at best, I'm tired of playing like a hack. I want to I play some really good golf and show people I'm still that Phil Mickelson. Well, and I think it was big, you know, over the past couple of weeks, we've even heard PGA Tour players like Xander Shoffley come out and say that, you know what, Phil was right on this whole deal. And so I think that Phil Mickelson might be able to kind of concentrate on his golf more than the stuff off the course here in just even the last couple of weeks, guys. Um, but, you know, obviously with this live event, it continues to kind of be the Shell's wonderful world of golf between Cam Smith and uh, and Dustin Johnson on a weekly basis. But the reason why is because those are head and shoulders above, you know, not only live players, but they might be, you know, top five players in the world right now. I think that, you know, Cam Smith definitely is. And Dustin Johnson, ever since he went to live, has been on an absolute heater. Uh, so I think that, you know, even though official world golf ranking won't tell you this, but I think that Cam Smith and Dustin Johnson are two of the top five players in the world. There's one more guy that we have to get to before we get off of live Chicago, guys. And I want to play something for you real quick. That is Bryson DeChambeau. He got sniped by a rope and absolutely lost it. Now, this is not safe for work, um, guys. So so just take a listen uh, or, you know, skip about 30 seconds ahead if you don't want to hear Bryson lose it uh, about, you know, running into this rope. What the fuck, guys? Oh, my God. Okay. No. Oh, right in my eye. Oh, oh, can you see right now? Take a second. Rope caught in the eye. So, if anybody didn't see this video, it was Bryson DeChambeau who was hitting a shot outside the ropes and he was walking back inside the ropes when a volunteer was holding up the rope for him and he walked right into the rope. I don't think he was ever getting under that rope, but Bryson proceeds to kind of turn into the, you know, do you know who my dad is type of guy and, and losing it on everybody else instead of himself for walking right into this rope, T-Dub. Uh, what were your thoughts on this whole situation? You know, whenever I first saw the video, I was thinking about it because, like you said, he, he kind of acted a little irate at something that really was his fault. And, and I got to thinking, and, and the reason he's so upset is, I don't think there's any worse pain in the world than eye pain, with the exception of having something around your private areas going wrong. Eye pain is probably number one on the list. So you unexpectedly get hit in the eye. You're going to be so mad at just about everything that goes on. And that's what happened with Bryson. I'm not going to take a whole lot of validity and him being mad at the volunteers and, and stuff like that. But, yeah, he should probably, and no pun intended, watch where he's going a little bit better because if not, Woody, 
he's gonna he's gonna lose an eye. He patches a hoolan out there, and uh, you know that. That might hurt his uh, distance taste a little bit if he can only see the ball with one eye. Patches DeChambeau. Uh, that's good. I like that. I, I'll tell you what I'm curious about after listening to that and, and, and seeing it when I saw it. Um, is there fines on the live tour? Because uh, that, the first thing out of his mouth was an F-bomb. <laughs> so that's right. That's usually a pretty hefty fine on the PGA Tour. So I, I don't know. I wonder if the Lib has any kind of fines uh, for their players if they happen to uh, kind of have loose lips. I'm going to assume not, Woody, because I've heard, I heard Cam Smith say the F-bomb twice over the last two weeks. I've heard DJ say it about three times. I've heard Patrick Mal Baker. say <laughs> Yeah, heard heard him in Mal Baker. I mean, so if they are, Woody, let's make a lot of money off those off those funds. No, uh, yeah. To I me, guys, so. I I think it's one of those situations <laughs> where Bryson was not only upset um, about hitting the shot way left, and then all of a sudden, like you said, whether so, Tito, you you were of the thought that he actually got hit in the eye. I think that you know he might have been being over dramatic here. Uh, he very well could have been. I, I'm just from the initial reaction with how loud his voice got when it seemed like that's when he did hit. That it seemed like like you'd have to go to the uh, the Chris Paul flopping score, the Marcus Smart flopping score to be able <laughs> to get that down. And and I don't think you really need that in golf. So I'm going under the assumption that he had his eye hit. But uh, and, and yeah, that like I said, it's just an extremely hurtful when that happens. So I do hope for his sake that maybe that his eye is okay. And that maybe he wasn't faking. I'm giving them benefit of the doubt there. But I will say if he didn't get hit in the eye and he was faking it, he did one hell of a job. Guys, that was – I mean, I don't know if you guys have any stories on this. I, I can think of a couple that I don't necessarily want to say on the podcast. Woody, do you have any stories on guys just absolutely losing it for no reason on the golf course like this? I, I, I saw one one time and it had to do with the gallery rope. And I'm sorry, I can't remember who I was playing with, but on this day, for some reason, he had his golf club in one of the amateur's carts. Uh, His caddy was (laughs) a no-show or something. I don't remember exactly what it was, but you've seen this happen before. I know you guys have. They were trying to drive the cart underneath the rope, and the amateur was driving the cart, and he didn't get the rope didn't get lifted high enough and he drove under it and he snapped all three woods that this guy had this golf <laughs> And I'm gonna tell you what, boys, uh, if I coulda if I could have charged a mission for watching what happened then, I'd be a rich man because I don't know how many uh cuss words were said in a thirty second span but I think he covered every one of them, and just absolutely livid, ranting and going nuts. And the poor guy driving the cart, you know, he's an amateur, and he didn't mean to do it. They, you know, the rope just didn't get high enough. If that guy, I think at one point he was trying to crawl under the cart, but he was so heavy he just couldn't fit. That's how embarrassed he <laughs> was. So. That was the only time I'd ever seen a gallery rope. I told you that story about Ken Green where he went nuts at Phoenix. But, yeah. um, you know, usually usually guys will will check their emotions and not go just totally ballistic. Um, 
there'll be a time this winter, I'll tell you, the only time I ever got a fine on the PGA Tour, but it's a long story, but it's a funny one. You'd have to hear it. And and was I embarrassed? Yes. Did I deserve a fine? Yes. So um, going ballistic doesn't happen very often. I'll just tell you that. T-Dub, just to me, from a guy that really, you know, not only likes to watch the live events, but uh, but I publicly support, you know, what they're trying to do for the game of golf, I don't like stuff like this. I wish this wouldn't have happened, and it's just, you know, hard to defend, uh, you know, Bryson DeChambeau or live golf, you know, when, when something like this happens. It, I wish that, you know, they would take the high road on certain situations like this. They're trying to get people out to their golf tournaments, and, and you know, Bryson's out there treating everybody like crap. I think this is, this is an ultimate example of something kind of small that the, that live, that's kind of a spotlight and live that most people who don't watch golf don't really understand what happened. You know, they, like they, they just see Bryson getting hurt and kind of being a crybaby and acting like an asshole to everyone. But guys like us, you know, people have been in the tournament. They understand that stuff like that can happen and, and, and all that. So I, I think that this is one of those things that, kind of like you're saying, it's not necessarily, compared with everything else, it's not necessarily a black eye on live, but it is something that distracts from the fact that, like, it was a really great tournament. I mean, it wasn't as exciting as an individual race as, as Boston was, but the team competition coming down the stretch is absolutely exhilarating. And I, I think things like this can be distracting from it. But I think people who actually understand golf understand this really isn't that big of a deal. Guys, I have one more question on Liv before we go to a break. Um, over the past week, I, I've heard some more rumors about, you know, different places that Liv might go uh, next year. And, and, you know, some of them very interesting. And let me just ask you this, and I want to continue to get the, the ball. We said we'll get the ball trickling last time we brought this up. I want to actually get the ball rolling on this thing because I think that Oklahoma City and Oklahoma City's area is just such a golf-crazed area that hasn't had a PGA Tour event why wouldn't Liv come to the Oklahoma City area? I think it would be, you know, too obvious of a place for them to come. And, and to me, guys, I, I think that they would do bigger numbers in a city like this than even a Boston or a Chicago. You know, I, I think that this area is a place that would support it not only – you know, because of the great golf, but depending on the place, they might want to go see the golf course. But also, you know, you have the OU people with Abraham Answer. You have, you know, Peter Uline, Chuggy Three Sticks, Taylor Gooch, all these guys that are local on Live. I think it's a no-brainer for Live to try to come uh, to the Oklahoma area. I think you're, I think you're exactly spot on there, Sam. Because one thing I noticed at the PGA Championship uh, that was back in May that that was so interesting was. Yes, there was a lot of people from Oklahoma there, but a lot of times is that there's not that many majors that are really around this area, right? So, I mean, if you live in Colorado or Nebraska or Kansas, you know, I mean, you're coming down here, and I think the exact same thing goes for if we if we had a live event. I mean, obviously, I think Texas is fairly well represented on the PGA Tour, but yet with all the courses down there, they could probably have some more, but you would get Arkansas people, Kansas, New Mexico, you would get all these other neighboring states that don't get to have golf. So even as great as Oklahoma is, it would draw in more people from, from around other states. So I think it's absolutely a great idea. I haven't heard of any of the courses that you may have, Sam, but, I mean, we talked about, what, a week and a half, two weeks ago, we started the official petition to get Oak Tree National to host one of these live events, and that would be an absolute dream come true. 
uh, with everything that they do when it comes to like the concerts and stuff, I think other courses, and these are all just hypotheticals here. I think maybe like Oklahoma City, Dolphin Country Club probably doesn't have the area. Twin Hills probably doesn't have the area for it, but maybe a course like Gallardia would as well. So I understand, Woody, that we kept bringing up Oak Tree National, but I think there's a couple other courses around here that would uh, be very good hosts. Well, we know that uh, Gallardia hosted the uh, Senior Tour Championship uh, two years in a row there in the early 2000s. So uh, I, I, I wouldn't put them out of the mix by any stretch of the imagination, especially with the facility they have there, and they have the room uh, to host something like that. Oak Tree National, the golf course stands on itself there. That would be something to think about. But we we have to be realists here, too, guys. Um, the people that own or run those golf courses might not be live fans. That's uh, right. So, uh, we, you know, any, I mean, we don't know. I haven't personally talked to Everett Dobson any, not one time about live. Uh, Concert Golf that owns uh, Gallardia, they would, I would think they'd jump at it because they're all about making money. So, um it would be still pretty cool to get something like that. I don't, again, I don't know what goes into the politics of who decides where it goes. Is it Greg Norman and Greg Norman only, or is it uh, a consortment of uh, the Saudi Arabian people that want to have golf tournaments at certain locations? I just don't know. I do know one thing. Anytime we've had any kind of professional golf in Oklahoma, it's been a unbelievable successful tournament yeah everyone got, and, and i I've think never it, heard of i totally agree and i think it would succeed you know for three reasons number one to me if you put it on a weekend that there was no ou or osu football let's say you know around the same time that you know the corn fairy is coming uh to jimmy austin i think that you would get big crowds and and the reason why i think you would maybe get bigger crowds in this area is number one because they haven't had a tour event uh, in a long time, but I, I think number two is people just love golf in this area so much that even if they dislike live, they'll come watch the product just to, you know, kind of see if they like it and, and see the local, local guys and support those guys. I think that, you know, as far as in-person attendance, I think you would have bigger crowds, you know, in this part of the country than you might in a bigger city. Um, and then number three, guys, I, I think that it's it, it's pretty obvious to me um, that Liv is is kind of basing their model um, off of, you know, I, I think that it's pretty obvious that they probably want to go to some redder states. I, I think that that's probably their, uh, their better uh, audience, right? I mean, I mean, and so Oklahoma kind of fits the bill in all three of those areas. Yeah, we, we don't have a live event going on in California, and I think that that's uh, probably an interesting uh, you know, thing to note there. But, yeah, I, I think that one thing that, that would draw people or I think would people get more interest if we did have a live is, like, for example, one of the things that PJ Tour claims so much whenever they host tour events is all the money they raise for charity. And do I think live events do the, the same work that, that those do? I don't think so. But I feel like the majority of people who dislike live haven't even watched it or even given it a thought. And when you hear stories like, like Taylor Gooch giving back to the Oklahoma Junior Golf Tour, you, you see that the money that everyone's saying that was corrupt all of a sudden is being used for a good cause. And I think that if you could do something like that in Oklahoma City or even Tulsa area that we haven't even mentioned yet, but, but to get people coming around into that community, help 
better the, the the local establishments around the restaurants, the hotel scene. I mean, everything would just boom. It's very similar like it did at the PGA Championship. So I think that that may be something that could help kind of get people off of the, the whole negative side of live and see that there are actually good things that can come from this, like come from really all professional golf tournaments. And Woody, I I also think that a place like Oak Tree National kind of fits the bill of the hard courses that they've gone to, you know, like a Rich Harvest Farms or, you know, some of the other courses that they've gone to on the live. They haven't gone to very easy golf courses, kind of pitch and putt like some of the PGA Tour events are. So I think that the course fits the bill and the the problem with Oak Tree is that you can't have a major there because there's not room for for all the corporate tents and stuff like that, you could put the small corporate tents that Liv has uh, around Oak Tree National. I, I, to me, I just think it's a no-brainer. And, you know, maybe we're thinking, you know, way out of the box right here. But to me, I think, you know, it, it could actually happen, you know, if someone wanted to support it. Well, we all know one thing. Thinking out of the box is not a bad thing. And I learned a long time ago when I was just a young man, if you don't ask, you'll never know. And what is the worst thing they could say? No. Oh, well, okay. How many times have we been told no over our lives? So it's not the end of the world. It is a perfect fit. Sam, you are exactly right. It's what is Lib going to do over the next two, three, four, five years? Is it going to keep growing? Is it going to merge? What is going to happen? We just don't know. But if I was Oak Tree National, and I'm not, or I'm not Everett Thompson, but if I was interested in even the slightest way, I, I, I promise you I'd have Tom Jones and, and Everett and those guys on it. They'd be on it in a heartbeat. If they if it's something they think they might want to do, uh, that, they'd be so far ahead of you and me, Sam and Taylor. They, they, they'd, they'd be getting their ducks in a row, and they'd be trying to go get it. A hundred percent guys. And to me, if I'm a Taylor Gooch or a Matthew Wolf, I would be in, you know, the ear of the higher ups saying this is a perfect fit. Let's do this thing. Um, so guys, on the other side of the break, we're going to get into the President's Cup preview, the the watered down President's Cup preview, guys. And so uh, before we do that, uh, Woody, why don't you tell us about our friends at Quail Creek Bank? Like I've always said, since we've gotten them on as one of our sponsors, Sam, it, it is a bank that is giving all the time. They're first class. They they have that interest in every customer. They have an interest in Oklahoma City. If you guys watch on the telecast of a lot of golf tournaments, you'll see Quail Creek Bank advertised. They are golfers. They're great people. And they're a great bank. That's what's so cool about them. They do everything right, and they're just a family-owned great business. They're located there. You were right on the corner, 122nd and May Avenue. I've said it every time we talk about it. If you're looking for a bank, please go try Quail Creek Bank. The best bank in Oklahoma City. Okay, stay with us on the other side of the break. We have the President's Cup preview here on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. 
McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRaeRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. Welcome back to the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Go to GolfOklahoma.org and get all of your local golf news, a lot of college golf stories on GolfOklahoma.org. And we heard some interesting news from Lance Ringler of Golf Week. He's reporting that the NCAA Division I Board of Directors says that we will now see an open and close date for the transfer portal in men's and women's golf. The open date for men's golf is Thursday, May 4th of 2023. And the close date is Saturday, June 17th of 2023. The open date for the women's collegiate golf is Thursday, April 27th of 2023. And the close date is Saturday, June 10th of 2023 guys to me I think we're going to start seeing this in a lot of other sports it's very interesting that golf might be the first one do you think that any of it had to do with you know the big names that have transferred like a Minanti from Pepperdine to North Carolina or like what we saw with the OSU women's team T-Dub I think those all had parts in it I think even more so it just goes down the all, what the transfer pool has really done to college football, I think, has been really the, the main game changer in all this. I know they came out with kind of a wait period, essentially what's the same as this, where you only have a certain amount of time to enter the portal and you have only have so much time to essentially get out of the portal. And the timing of it is very interesting because essentially what this does is because it's the start of May to essentially the middle of June for the men. And, and just for clarif- clarification's sake, the final round of the uh, NCAA uh, Men's National Championship at Greyhawks I believe ended on June 1st or somewhere around that time. So there's only about two weeks after that for, for if you want to get uh, find a new team. And it's only a little bit – the window only opens a little bit before regional starts. So it's essentially just right as soon as the season ends uh, for the regular season up until about two weeks after the, the uh, NCAA championship. So do I think this is a good move going forward? I would probably say so. I don't think it's very good to have – have players like we saw especially with OSU women last year you have two players in the transfer portal in February or whatever it was that seems a little egregious to me and those, that's not something I want to see uh, going forward and I do think that this limited window may kind of halt this transfer stuff we're seeing Woody because I think when you, what you see and I'm not saying this is a, with any specific example but when you're dealing with 18 to 22 year old kids they can get you can get in mood swings and all of a sudden you have one bad week you want to enter transfer portal it can it can shoot everything. So I think this may give time for people to sort of reflect on the decisions that they've had and, and maybe make a more educated decision as opposed to just saying, oh, screw it, let's just go ahead and enter the portal. Well, it, that's a great point because the portal, the way it seems is when these kids just get a little bit 
you know, disappointed or dejected or whatever. Well, heck with you, I'll just move. And, and it, you know, it's like our society now. You, I, I need to lose weight. Here's a pill. Well, no, you need to work out. Okay. So what, what happens in most cases, I think the dates are perfect just between you guys and me. I, I think they're perfect for this reason. If you're a player that is playing on a team and you just can't seem to crack that starting five and you're right there, you're right there, you're right there, but you just can't get to the NCAAs or the regional, that window falls in where the kid goes, you know what, I can't make this team. Or let's say he's playing on a team where he just doesn't like the coach or he doesn't like his teammates. He fights through regionals, he gets through the NCAAs, and then he bolts. So I think it's I think it's a perfect window that they're giving to a young man where if he's or a young lady for that matter in their little portal, uh, if they they just feel like they aren't gonna be what they wanted to be at that school after those regionals and NCAAs the best time to say, you know what, I'm ready to go because you're right, T W to leave in the February. That just kills the golf team. I mean, that just absolutely destroys the golf team. And I don't think they should have been able to do that. I really don't. At the end of the year, hey, that's all well and good, but not during the middle of the year. That's wrong. I totally agree, guys. Speaking of team golf, we have professional team golf this week with the President's Cup at Quail Hollow. Um, Let's go through these teams real quick, and then we'll talk about who's missing from these teams. The international team that you will see at Quail Hollow has Hideki Matsuyama, Sungjae M, Tom Kim, Corey Connors, Mito Pereira, Adam Scott, Taylor Pendrith, Sebastian Munoz, Siwoo Kim, Cam Davis, Christian Bezadenhut, and K.H. Lee, T-Dub. I think that, you know, obviously it's missing some names, and let's go through some of those names from the international team that will be missing from this golf tournament Guys, Cameron Smith, obviously the leader of that group, maybe the best player in the world right now. Abraham Answer, who had a big President's Cup last time, will not be at Quail Hollow. Mark Leishman, who hasn't necessarily played his best golf ever since he went to live, but he's still a big name for the internationals. Joaquin Neiman will not be there, one of the great young players in the world right now. And then a veteran, Louis Oosthuizen, will not be there for the internationals. I, I don't see any way that the internationals win, and we'll get to the U.S. team in a second, but, I mean, I think possibly their top three or four best players won't be there at Quail Hollow, T-Dub. I mean, you just listed off. They're missing six of their best players. The internationals are, and I think the Americans missing Dustin Johnson. You could have maybe throw Taylor Gooch and some other guys in there who could potentially be on the Americans. Well, well but, and the Americans, uh, T-Dub, are missing other big names like a Patrick Reed or a Brooks Kepka, a Taylor Gooch, a Bryson DeChambeau, a Will Zalatoris, who won't be there because of injury. Um, to me, I I think that, you know, I would have picked all those guys over Kevin Kisner. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And, you know, it, it just adds to the, 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 the horribleness I feel for this event because this doesn't have to do with the teams, but they changed the whole layout of Quail Hollow. So for anyone who doesn't know, I just want to make sure our listeners are aware of this. So whenever you're watching the President's Cup, you're not going to see the traditional Quail Hollow that we see at the Wells Fargo. You're going to see holes one through eight are the exact same. But then starting on hole nine of the President's Cup, they're going to go to what traditionally was hole 12. So you're going to go from uh, hole eight to hole 12, then you're going to play holes 12 through 18, then you're going to play 10, 11, and 9 is how it's going to finish. And 
it pisses me off so much because Crow Hall has one of the best finishes in all of golf. The Green Mile, 16, 17, 18, even 15, the par 5. So the best holes in the world. And we want to put them in the middle of the damn round because we want to make it a little bit better for match play to make sure the holes get played. It's an absolute travesty. And this tournament has turned into 100% of a joke, Sam. It truly is. Like, yes, we do have some great players playing, but this tournament, it, 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 it's more of an exhibition than anything we've put on this year. And it's not even close. Well, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> I'm pissed off. I, I, I hate when they ruin good golf courses. And that's what they're doing this week. I agree with you, buddy. I am. I can't really add to it because you covered it beautifully. I mean, I like how you got animated about it because you don't like it. And, and I don't like it either. Uh, but everything about this President's Cup, gentlemen, over the last six months, Instead of going into this rocket high, man, not only have they leveled out, they're starting to lose speed and altitude quick. They need to get this golf tournament over with as quick as they can, and they really need to hope like heck those international players play really at a high level because this could be ugly, right? This could be really ugly as far as team competition, the numbers that the American side could put against the international side. You're exactly right, uh, Woody. And as far as the American side, you have Patrick Cantlay, Sam Burns, Justin Thomas, Scotty Scheffler, Xander Shoffley, Tony Finau, Cam Young, Billy Horschel, Colin Morikawa, Kevin Kisner, Jordan Spieth, and Max Homa. I mean, I don't see any way that this golf tournament isn't over after the first day, T-Dub. And, and yes, I, I do want to say, yeah, I, am I ripping this tournament 100%? But the, the team the Americans are putting out is pretty damn stacked. I understand stacked. we just said we're missing Dustin Thompson, but those guys are, are absolutely loaded. And you, you're looking at the analytics here on, on Data Golf. They have the Americans at a 74% chance to win. In my opinion, that's very low. I, I would just, I would thought it'd be closer to about 90%. And I think the only way the Americans don't, the only way the Americans don't win is like an act of God that, that comes through. Maybe there's a hurricane or something that, that just makes the internationals play good because even if they come out lackadaisical and, and maybe it's somewhat close after the first three days, when it goes into singles, the Americans are going to dominate. They're going to win 9-2. to to nine two one is probably what it ended up being. So, no, I don't see any realm of possibility where the internationals can, can win this deal. I think the only thing that can happen is they keep it close for two Maybe if they're lucky, keep it close to 30 days. But once singles come around, Woody, I, I, I think the tournament's going to get blown away. I do, too. Uh, and that's why I'm saying if if the internationals don't, you know, stay even halfway close in the team event, I don't see why anybody would even watch it on the weekend when they go to the individuals. Uh, it, it's, I, I, I was saying it could get really, really ugly. Can you imagine – because when Sam, when you listed those guys, man, that team, our American team, is so strong. Can you imagine if you had uh, Dustin Johnson and Will Dallas and Taylor Gooch on that team? Oh, could you imagine? Can you even fathom that? It's what we talked about after the Ryder Cup, after my dumbass picked the Europeans. Well, and, and you know what? And that's okay. We don't need to bring it back to that story. <laughs> we we beat that dead horse. I made you feel bad. I can make you feel about that. So, uh, but that that would be almost you'd be almost as bad this time. Saying, "Well, I think the internationals are going to pull one out." Uh, no, no, chance. no, they're not. Uh, no chance. I, I don't see any chance. But 
again, golf's crazy, but I, I'm like TW. I was playing one time in a, a tour event, and it wasn't politically correct, but they asked a guy what it'd take for him to, what do you have to shoot the next day? And he said the rest of the field. Because that, that, <laughs> Because he wasn't gonna, he couldn't win no matter what he shot, and that's kind of where this international team is. What do they, what do they got to shoot? Well, all the Americans, but it didn't gonna happen. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm gonna watch a little of it, but not much because I'm, I'm I'm taking a little vacation, and uh, it might not be something I want to turn on and watch over the weekend. And, and not only is the competition gonna be boring, the captains are something that you always look forward to in these events, and I can't think of two captains that are more boring to me than the one-time major winner Trevor Immelman and the one-time major winner Davis Love III, who has also been very outspoken about things that I totally disagree with him on. I couldn't be more turned off by the captains either, T-Dub. That's a very good point because especially Davis Love over the last few months, in all honesty, whenever you say Davis Love the third name I, I it takes me like 10 seconds or 10 thought points to even remember what he did in golf when he played because I'm so off track with all the stupid stuff that he said uh, you know about banning and potentially protesting majors and stuff like that and, and what was funny was last night when I was watching the golf channel they were interviewing Trevor Immelman and they asked him essentially what what had not having the live guys there has done for the team and he had to come up with some bullshit about how it's made them more uh, morally strong and how, you know, brought them more together and all this stuff. And, and okay, yeah, it may have done that for the six players who shouldn't be there and, and the better players who aren't there for absolutely stupid reasons. So <laughs> I completely agree, agree Sam. It's, it's, there's, n- there's nothing about this. The only thing about this tournament that is going to make me watch it is the fact that the United States is so dominantly stacked. And if I can see the U.S. beat, I don't care who it is, if I can see them beat anyone in a dominating fashion, it, it'll be fun to watch. So I'll check it out for that reason. But I guarantee you what, if I was if I was rooting for the internationals, there is no chance in hell I'd watch this tournament. i tell you what, I'm not going to watch it because they, they're changing the golf course. And T-Dub, I, I didn't know that until you told me. And I'm, 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 I'm getting irritated like you are. I can't believe we're not going to watch the Hell the way Quail Hollow plays because it's it's one of, probably one of the best courses in the country. So, um, yeah, that is a frustrating son of a gun to do it. But to go back to your two captains, let's keep in mind Davis Love is going to shoot that PGA Tour as hard as he can because he's got a large pension plan. Also, that he's counting on Trevor Immelman now is the uh, head head guy for CBS Sports. He took over for Nick Faldo. So. If we think we're going to hear anything about Liv this weekend, <laughs> we're on, <laughs> except something bad. <laughs> they'll, they'll come up with something bad, but they, they're not going to talk about anything that's positive for sure. Guys, I have an interesting question to ask you. What's your favorite President's Cup memory? Because I really can't think of you know two or three great President's Cup memories from watching it in the past. It, it's been one of the more boring events uh, that they try to hype up as as a Ryder Cup for the PGA Tour or something like that. But to me, I remember the, the Tiger Club twirl, and that's about it. So, yeah, so you, you have the Tiger Club twirl at Harding Park. That's probably the, the best President's Cup memory just because it's prob- probably the best club twirl Tiger has ever had. The first President's Cup I ever watched, was in 2003 when it had down in South South Africa, and they actually had a tie. We had a Tiger uh, Ernie Els playoff, which was extremely exhilarating. I actually, that was probably 
at least for me personally, my favorite memory of watching it. I always liked when they, um, whenever they played down in Royal Melbourne, that's, I believe it was 2011 or 2012, and then uh, 2019, obviously, as well, when Tiger was uh, playing captain. That was fun to watch just because of the time of it. You know, I mean, you'd stay up till midnight or one in the morning, and, and the golf would just be starting. So I always loved that. And then there was uh, 2005, I believe it played at Royal Trent uh, Jones Golf Course. It was a really close match, and Chris DeMarco made a clutch putt on 18 uh, to win. So I don't know what he, there's been a couple of moments, but if you add up President's Cup moments versus Ryder Cup moments, which, like Sam said, they're trying to be, it's not even close. And the, the validity of this tournament has gone down so much over the last few months. It's not even fun. I think that the one you talked about in South Africa, because uh, Jack Nicholas was the captain and Gary Player was the captain. And, and, and if you remember, and you do kind of, because you mentioned it, they, they made some of the most clutch putts to keep that playoff just kept going and going and going. And finally it got so dark, they had just called a tie, if you guys remember. So that one kind of sticks in my mind as, as much as any of them. Um, they really, they have tried to build this up, build this up, build this up. But uh, it was kind of like when we used to play Ryder Cups and the Americans dominated. Uh, it wasn't that big a deal. Until the internationals can start really being competitive, it's not that big a deal because the Americans just keep winning and winning and winning. It's it's not as much fun. It wasn't until the Ryder Cup got the whole continent, you know, of Europe in there that they could get Spain and all the other countries that the Ryder Cup became what it was. And it's mostly because Sebi Ballesteros. But you don't have a Sebi Ballesteros on this international squad. You had a chance with Cam Smith at mullet and how cocky he is. <laughs> but then again, we didn't because they don't let him play. Duh, dumb. <laughs> T-Dub uh, or Woody, whoever wants to take this question. Woody, I'll ask you first since you remember the start of the President's Cup and you kind of alluded to it just now, but my question is, is the President's Cup boring to us and, and do we not care about it as much? Number one, because the international team has only won one time, which was in 1998, which I don't even remember. I was too young. Um, they tied it one time, like you guys said, in, in 2000. And three, but other than that, the U.S. has won every other year. So, is it is it boring because it's not competitive, or is it boring because we don't get the great players uh, from Europe? Well, I think it's boring because it's not competitive, and, and that's why I mentioned about the Ryder Cup. The Ryder Cup was boring, guys. The Ryder Cup was no fun to watch until you brought in those guys from all over Europe in there. And then it got kind of fun. Then it. It got kind of fun because they came with an attitude and they beat our butts, and they beat our butts a number of times. So the American is not normally used to getting whooped. And if you beat him enough times, people get frustrated, and even the people that aren't playing go, you deadbeats, what is wrong with you? And so they put so much pressure on the Americans. The Americans and the international, they aren't, they're not nervous at all. <laughs> That's they don't worry about the international beating them. And it wasn't until they can, until the international team can prove that it can be competitive every year and they can win more times than not, like the Europeans did in the Ryder Cup, uh, we're not going to be excited about it. It's just not going to be any fun. Nobody likes to watch. The only people I've ever really seen that like somebody getting beat 100 to nothing 
was an OU fan watching them play Utah State or something. And they just <laughs> and when it was eighty four to one, they OSU just kept played watching. Arkansas Pine Bluff this past week. So let's hold the brakes on that a little bit. <laughs> well, I understand. You, I'm, listen, <laughs> I'm just telling you. After you got them eighty to nothing, do you really need another touchdown? <laughs> and, and you know what I'm saying. I'm, no, I got and you. God love me, I'm not trying to piss off the OU fans. They <laughs> know I'm an Aggie, so but I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying it's a lot more fun to watch a game that's twenty-one to twenty, and the, you know you got it right down to the nub than when it's eighty to nothing. And that's what the internationals. The President's Cup's kind of been an easy-nothing football game, and it's just not that much fun to watch. So, guys, let's do this to make this a little more entertaining for us to watch because, unfortunately, this is our job and we have to watch it. Um, So, I I think we all agree that the United States is going to win. So, let's do this. Let's snake draft two guys and their combined record for the week whoever has the best record you get one point uh for the best record and you get another point for the second best record um so two guys uh will get points this week in this game woody since you actually maybe t-dub should go first he went over in the live event i know that woody picked cam smith and i had the four aces t-dub you get the first pick in today's snake draft and he deserves uh, it. I mean, there, there was – I didn't have – I picked third in both those picks. There was no chance I had to win. I had zero chance to, to win with, but that's all right. Oh, I wow. Wow. Was sitting very pretty going in, into the second round, and he didn't have the hey. best weekend, but it happened. So Can I, I have a little first. tease with this? This is a yes. wine party. What? Come on. Stop this. Move on. You sound like Bryson. Hey, if you have some cheese and some wine for me, Woody, I'll gladly take it. That's some good shit, man. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm going to go first. Give me give me the number one player in the world. Give me Scotty Scheffler. I think him and Speeds are probably going to team up quite a bit this weekend. I think they're just going to absolutely dominate. And uh, so I would go – I could go with Speeds as well because I think they'll be together, but I think Scheffler has a better chance to win his singles match. So give me Scotty Scheffler. Shock the pick there. Yeah, I'll go next. I'll take uh, – I'm going to go with the same kind of theory. I'm going to go with Cantley and Shopley. I think they're going to team together, and they're going to run over him like a bulldozer. But um, I don't think you can miss on this. But let's hear what you got, Sam. Okay, well, since Woody took two guys there, I will go ahead and take <laughs> Justin oh, Thomas. I, <laughs> I was going to pick Justin Thomas anyways. Uh, so I'm going to take Justin Thomas and then give me Tony Finau uh, this week. Actually, no. I'm going to take Sam Burns instead of Tony Finau. Give me Justin Thomas and Sam Burns this week at the President's Cup, guys. Woody, I'm assuming you're going to take Xander or Cantley. I'm not sure which one you are going to take with your second well, pick. Yeah, I was, those two. I, I'm sorry, I jumped the gun. I, I, I like those two this week because they're buddies and they're going to they're going to pile up and just they're going to bulldoze whoever they play. That's smart. Uh, that's a good pick. Man, I man. like that, Woody. Woody giving me so much smack for whining about my lip picks. All of a sudden, he picked two players with his second pick. I mean, that's pretty pretty good stuff. Wish I could have done that in my fantasy football draft. Uh, hey, I'm my, old. My I get to cheat. That's a good point. So, uh, my next pick, guys, I don't think there's going to be any winning hangover here. Give me Max Homer. I, I expect him to play really good. He even mentioned uh, whenever he was done after he was essentially given the trophy by Danny Willett 
that he was extra motivated because a lot of people had apparently telling him that the live guys hadn't left, that he wouldn't have even been on the president's cup. So I, I expect him to make a statement and I expect Max to have a very good week as long as he gets to play uh, every single match. Well, T-Dub, I think they do. Everyone plays every single match, right? In the president's cup. Am I wrong about that? Woody? You know, I think they, no, so they do. So they do is on, um, they Starting in 2019, they do they do five four ball sessions. So they'll you'll have two players from each team sit out. Then you'll have two players sit out in the in the second round. And then on on Saturday, the day three, they do uh, four four balls and four foursomes. So one round, the ball's gonna shot one round at best ball. So you'll have two players sit day one. You'll have two players sit day two. Day three, you'll have two matches. So you'll have four players sit in the morning and four players sit in the afternoon. Okay, so let's do this. If someone has zero players playing um, in a certain session, then they get to choose the fifth guy of whoever the other two guys don't have. Okay. All right. All right, so T-Dub has Max Homa, and uh, who was your other pick? Scotty Scheffler? Yeah. And Woody has... Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley, the best friends. And I have Sam Burns and Justin Thomas uh, for the best record at the President's Cup. Guys, did we miss anything on the President's Cup? This is supposed to be one of the bigger events of the year. But unfortunately, there's just not that much to talk about. Well, here, let's let's do this. Since we all picked Americans there, I just want to ask you guys, we can take it if y'all want, but just opinion. Who do you think will be the leading point getter for the international team? Okay, let's do that. Let's add a third. Let's add a third, and, and you can have okay. the, the international players as well. Uh, since I went last, I'll draft first for the internationals. Give me Hideki Matsuyama. Well, no, really? Geez. Um, <laughs> that's the only guy I remember you said on the team. Can you tell me anybody else on the team? Sung J.M., <laughs> Tom Kim, Corey Connors, Mito Pereira, Adam Scott, Taylor Pendritt, Sebastian yeah. Munoz, Siwoo Kim, Cam Davis, Christian Bezadenhu, and K.H. Lee. <laughs> God dang, gee, many Christmas. I'll take Sung J.M. or Sung J.M. Isn't it Sung J.M.? Yeah, Sung J.M. Okay. <laughs> I want Sung J.M. So, so this is an extremely important point because I'm trying to figure out the internationals have to have a select guys that they're going to play every single match. And I kind of want to go with Adam Scott, but a slight underdog pick here. Give me Mino Prayer. I think he's going to have a very good presence. Okay. Wow. All right. I, I don't mind those picks. I'm a little surprised no one took Adam Scott. I think he'll probably play all the matches if I had to guess. Maybe he has a rest because he's a veteran. I don't know um, how that'll shake out. Do we have a schedule yet, T-Dub, for the, uh, for the four ball and alternate shot? Our schedule is in like the teams that are coming out or the times at which they start. The times at which they start. So the the President's Cup TV schedule this week on Thursday. Let me make sure these times are these times are Eastern, so I'll say for Central Time. Central Time on Thursday it's from eleven thirty to five p.m. On Friday it's ten thirty a.m. to five p.m. On Saturday it'll be six a.m. to uh, seven a.m. on Golf Channel, and then from there it's seven a.m. to five p.m. on NBC. And then on Sunday, it's 11 to, to 5 on NBC as well. So a little bit more condensed there with the scene. And so, T-Dub, those, those first times that you listed off are on Peacock? Uh, the, the first days are listed on Golf Channel is what it says okay. here. That's the, that's the TV schedule. I don't see anything where it says it's on earlier on Peacock. 
Um, so I, I, I think it, Peacock will just be an extra viewership option. I don't think they'll have any exclusivity over there, at least from what I'm saying. Okay. All right, guys. I mean, the President's Cup is probably going to be a blowout, but if the International somehow pulled out the greatest upset in the history of sports, we would have something to talk about uh, come Monday. Wow. If, if, uh, yeah, that'd be a big show because that would be the biggest black eye the PGA Tour could possibly get. And if you were to want to bet on the international team, you would get the international team at plus 700, guys. I mean, that's almost worth throwing some cheese on just because, I mean, anything can happen in alternate shot and match play. Plus 700? That is insane. I mean, uh, you you bet bet $100 to win $700. I mean, the the, the thing you have to lift that out is just for betting purposes would be, is the international is going to win one time out of seven that they play? And in all honesty, I would say no. I think it'd be closer to one out of ten. So in all honesty, it doesn't sound like the best bet in the world. But hey, it, you know, depending on what your betting minimum is uh, on whatever site you use or whatever. I mean, if you want to throw ten bucks on it for a chance to win seventy bucks, I mean, I spent ten bucks on worst things in the world. <laughs> yeah, I'd say we've all done that. But I, I'd rather you just give that ten bucks to me to help pay for these pieces. <laughs> I'm going to owe it into the year because you ain't going to win. well great show today guys on the 73rd old podcast the official podcast of golf oklahoma definitely if you're in the oklahoma city area go visit our friends at quail creek bank the best bank in oklahoma city we will possibly guys be back later in the week with an interesting interview um but we don't want to promote it yet just in case things fall through um so definitely be on the lookout for a surprise show later in the week here on the 73rd old podcast the official podcast of golf oklahoma